There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped at 10 and branch microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD, 27-year veteran sergeant. And with me today is straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing good, Billy, but you, how are you doing? Welcome back. It's so you know, great guys, to have you I, I just want to thank everyone for their prayers and thoughts and everything. It, it's tough. I, I had a, a new hip replacement and had a little bit of complications. I'm in a lot of pain. But I, I think I, I got to get back on the horse, you know, and I'm uh, I'm happy to be here today. We're probably going to do a little bit of a shorter show today. I just wanted to get my feet wet again and say hello to everyone, let everyone know I'm still alive and, uh, you know, get back into the show. I see there's a lot of stuff going on with some of the stories we've been covering, um, specifically the Gonzalo Lopez story just is so, so heartbreaking from minute one, you know, Phil? Yeah, absolutely, Billy. Uh, I just want to mention the names of the five people that were killed because I don't think that there could be enough said about uh, the situation that occurred where this animal was allowed to escape. He was aided in his escape, obviously. We'll talk about that. But I want to mention the names of the five people that he snuffed out that he killed. They seem to be uh, just really nice people. It was a, a, a 66-year-old man, Mark Collins, with his four grandchildren. I mean, from 18 to 11 years old, it was Waylon Collins, 18, Carson Collins, 16, Hudson Collins, 11, and Bryson Collins, 11. And uh, they had a hunting lodge, I guess you could call it, or uh, maybe a weekend getaway. Uh, either they were surprised by him, uh, that him being inside the location, or he came upon them probably to, to take their vehicle because their vehicle was later taken. And uh, when he was killed by the police, uh, he was in possession of that vehicle. So uh, you can't say it enough. Uh, there's such a, uh, a focus on the bad guys all the time. How about these five individuals that their families are broken, broken forever. And it's just a terrible, terrible situation, Billy. Uh, I don't think enough can be said that uh, this animal that's on the screen right now did such a horrific thing. You know, I want to show a little bit of this video because we never saw actually the inside of the bus, but this is showing the inside of the bus. And we get a view of what the hell is going on in this situation. Let me play a little bit of this. And from the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, they're sharing new insight in how, into how convicted killer Gonzalo Lopez managed to escape a prison bus. They're showing some of these pictures of a bus similar to the one that was carrying Lopez. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice says he cut through the metal wire below the driver's seat, crawling on his stomach through the opening before attacking the driver. According to the agency, the other inmates that were on board created a distraction. Some, including a state, uh, Sam Houston state professor, are critical of how this manhunt played out. What's so unique about this, first of all, is how long the uh, manhunt lasted. A lot of the information wasn't released uh, in a timely fashion. Um, I think uh, there's still a, a lot of uh, questions that need answering. Authorities believe Lopez went on to murder a family of five just a half mile from where he escaped there in Centerville. Lopez eventually died in a police shootout near San Antonio earlier this month. 
You know, just horrendous. Uh, I think the main thing that we spoke about, we we sort of suggested minute one. We saw we sort of suggested minute one that this was a inside job, and it's come out that it has been. He had a cuff key, he had a knife, and he had the other inmates on the bus cooperating with his escape. Yeah, that, that's terrible, Billy. I mean, you sort of pictures it at a beautiful family there. It's a horrendous situation. Um, with regard to the escape, now, he was aided. He apparently had a, a handcuff key. Now, people talked about when we did one of these shows how handcuffs can be manipulated with, the, let's say, the plastic teeth of a comb. Uh, that is correct. However, there is a double locking system on handcuffs. Uh, I would imagine that in a situation where corrections is going to transport uh, any prisoner, whether they be high profile or whether it be somebody uh, arrested for shoplifting, they usually would enlist the double locking system on the handcuffs. Now, again, that makes it more difficult to uh, to facilitate uh, opening the key with, uh, let's say, a piece of plastic or something like that. But if you have a handcuff key, you have the exact tool that you need to release yourself from those handcuffs. And then apparently had some type of a cutting instrument that he was able to cut through the gate. Now, uh, in that report that you just played, uh, it appears that, you know, if there were other inmates on the on the bus, uh, which there was, that they could have alerted the driver and the, and the other uh, correction officer in the back that he was cutting through this gate or it was either pre-cut. We don't know exactly the facts of what uh, transpired on that bus. I'm sure that these inmates were uh, were interviewed. But again, Billy, uh, I think the reporter made a, a very good point there. There wasn't a lot of broadcast on this case. It was a three-week uh, manhunt for this guy. And had uh, the Collins family been aware, I mean, I don't know for certain whether they were aware or weren't aware, but if there was a, a, a tremendous warning to stay out of the area because of an escaped uh, prisoner who's wanted for... Uh, you know, uh, murders and, and he's serving out two life sentences. Uh, ha perhaps that could have prevented the horrible tragedy that occurred with the Collins family. Just, just absolutely horrendous. I want to play a little bit of this. This is just right after it, it occurred. This situation with even more twists tonight, tragic at that Lopez still not in custody. And the family you mentioned, two adults and three children are dead. We know that the Texas Criminal Department of Justice was uh, having a press conference here earlier tonight updating us on all these details. They say law enforcement received a call earlier this evening from someone concerned about an elderly relative. When they responded, they found the bodies of the family. We learned tonight that family is from Houston and the house was a weekend type residence. TDCJ believes that family just got to that house today. Now, authorities say Lopez may be driving the vehicle, their vehicle, a white 1999 Chevy Silverado with the license plate DPV4520. He's been on the run for about three weeks ever since he stabbed the driver of a prison transport bus and ran into the woods. And he's currently serving back-to-back -back life sentences for deadly crimes in two different countries. Authorities are warning the public that this is a very dangerous person. Now, we did not get any idea of how the family was murdered, whether they were shot or what the circumstances were surrounding that. But investigators say because the vehicle is missing, the belief is that he's out of the area, saying anywhere in Texas is the place they'd look. But it well, folks, we know the truth. This was a 
early on in the investigation, one of the things I wanted to highlight today with Phil was that what is going on with the investigation in regards to accountability? This is what I find so egregious about this case is that no one seems to be being held accountable in this case. And you got a family of five dead. And some of the other mistakes that were made, the, the, the investigators had information that some of these homes were being used based on the fact that the electricity was being turned on. DNA, broken homes were broken into. Why was that information not disseminated to the public? I find that to be just outrageous, just totally outrageous. Of course, Billy. I mean, let's face it. This is something that could have been prevented um, right from the start. We have the escape. So he was aided in the escape. But now you have a three-week-long manhunt. And, uh, I mean, I didn't see it across the wires. There wasn't a lot of media attention to this case. There was some in the initial stages of it. But, again, there should have been a lot of caution to go into this area. And this this poor family, I mean, this probably could have pre been prevented. And I'm not one to come out and criticize law enforcement in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I'm you know, a veteran of law enforcement myself, but uh, it just seems like the media could have been, uh, you know, enlisted a little bit better in this case. And there could have been more of a push that this is a dangerous, dangerous individual. And, you know, he's in an area, they, they kind of had an area locked down where they knew where he was. And then you're talking about the other signs that there was break-ins of, of other homes, other cabins, other hunting lodges, whatever they are, uh, electricity being used. And I think that that should have really been front and center with the media. That should have been all over the place. There should have been roadblocks set up and, and you know, flyers being handed out to people saying, listen, do not go into this area if you have a cabin. Uh, if you do have to go in, notify us and we'll go in and search it first. Uh, things like that should have been happening. It doesn't seem like they were. And um, unfortunately, these uh, five people lost their lives and it's just terrible. Steve Mavridis, I live in Texas and got more information about this escaped inmate from this channel than my local news I, station. I mean, that right there, Billy, that's horrendous. That's terrible. I mean, th thank God that we were putting it out there, but not everybody's watching us. You know, I mean, we have a lot of listeners and we love our subscribers, but uh, I mean, that's terrible. That should have been blasted across every news media outlet, uh, local news, uh, radio, TV, whatever. Uh, it should have been, you know, several times a day. I mean, this is a, a very, very dangerous escaped individual that had nothing to lose. He was going to go back to Xavier jail Walton for life. So. Escaped convict. Terrible. Xavier Walton talked to those paying respects at a visitation tonight about how the family is being remembered. Xavier? The family and friends who walked through these doors were given a blue ribbon to show support. The family this weekend saying they're going to focus on celebrating Mark and the four kids. I've been doing this 30 some odd years and this hit me like a ton of bricks because just when I think I've seen it all and watched it all, something like this comes along. Andy Kahn didn't know the Collins, but he knew. This family was so loved and endured by a community. And during the week that this has happened, to me personally, I've run into so many people that I know that knew this family. Hundreds walked through Houston Northwest Church Friday to pay their respects. Inside, a sign with sunflowers and signatures honoring each Collins family member. On one of the arrangements, a baseball and the long line of people grieving jerseys with the number eight and the name Collins on the back. Waylon Collins just graduated from Tomball High School and was an umpire for Tomball Little League. 
This week, they held a moment of silence and framed his jersey to honor him. That shows support stretching to the family ranch in Centerville, where the five family members were ultimately killed. Balloons at the entrance, also a reminder of the tragedy that took place. You try to live each day and hope that each day gets better, but this is something that you essentially get a life sentence yourself. The Collins are big in faith. The youngest of the brothers, Hudson, just got baptized a few days before the tragedy. So this family going to rely heavily on their faith to get through these devastating times, Glenn. Yeah, devastating indeed. Our thoughts are with the family tonight, Xavier. Thank you. You know, Phil, getting back again to accountability, I just know that if this was New York City, the head of the Department of Corrections would have already been fired. You know what I mean? Because this is showing just multiple levels of incompetence, multiple levels of wrongdoing, multiple levels of, you. are you kidding me? You know, that's what I'm saying, that even these things were allowed to happen. How about the warning signs? How about when these prisoners started acting up? Was there a radio or a phone that they could have called and said, we request backup? We don't like what's going on on this on this prisoner bus. 16 lifers they had. A, well, I know, well, he was a two-time lifer. I'm sure the other 15 prisoners going to their medical meetings were not good guys either. But it just seemed like every no-chase car, uh, so many levels of just incompetence that it's hard to believe. And then isn't it the government's responsibility to protect the public? Five innocent people murdered because of government incompetence. Billy, I am just outraged when I look at those faces and you hear the stories about these young people and that that really nice grandfather taking his grandsons to go fishing or whatever they were going to do up at that lodge. I'm just outraged by it. It's unacceptable. And like you said, Billy, government's number one priority should be to protect the people of this nation. It wasn't done here. This was a failure on many levels, like you said. Uh, I don't know how... This animal got that handcuff key or the tools to get out of that bus. But once he was out and once he had escaped and he was in that area, I just feel like there was even more lapses with a lack of communication to the media to explain how this is a a, a, a person that was facing life in jail. He was never going to get out of jail and he's desperate and he's dangerous and you should not go into these areas. You should definitely request uh, escort if you have to go into the area. Uh, law enforcement should have been uh, better prepared for this. I'm sorry. I'm just outraged about this. This is unacceptable. Uh, I can't even imagine what this family's going through. Like that reporter said, I, I hope that they can get through it with their faith, lean on God and prayer, but it's just totally, totally unnecessary, unacceptable unacceptable. And anybody in law enforcement that's not outraged about this should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, like you said, Billy, if this were New York, I think heads would be rolling already. Where's the accountability? Uh, you know, were the guards in on it? Were the other prisoners in on it? Uh, we need to get more information on this pronto. This is disgusting. It's totally, totally uh, should not have happened. It was preventable. And uh, it's just a comedy of errors, as they say. This guy on the screen, Robert Hurst, who um, was their basically public information guy, early on in the investigation, I was calling him the minister of misinformation because it never seemed that he gave any good information out to the public. 
And when he did give the information out, it was redundant and repetitive. And when he needed to give out information that was important, he didn't. Ashley Banfield begged him, begged him every night to come on her show, to get the information out on it to a national audience. And he said, oh, we have nothing new to report. And then when we see how this escalated and if it wound up being a family of five murdered because of people not doing their jobs correctly. Billy, I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback. I actually dislike doing that. But in this situation, when you have Ashley Banfield asking you to come on, what was the problem with just reviewing what we already know or already is out there? You don't want to put out every single fact in an investigation, especially in a manhunt, in case he's got access to you know social media or, or a cell phone or whatever it is. I get that. But you could go over it and you could just make the public aware. This guy is dangerous. He's escaped felon. He's got nothing to lose. He's going back to jail forever. Uh, very, very dangerous. Be on the lookout. Report uh, sightings, different things like that. A review of it, that may have prevented this horrible tragedy of these five people. If someone in that family may have saw one of those reports, they could have cautioned these people. You know what? Don't go into the area. There's an escaped convict that he's got nothing to lose. He's very dangerous and he could be in the area. Maybe it would have prevented us. And listen, not everybody is plugged in to news and media. Uh, apparently this family, I don't think they would have gone into this area had they known how serious this, uh, th this escaped convict was that he was, uh, uh, you know, a double lifer, never getting out of jail, extremely dangerous, tied to drug cartels on and on we go. Uh, perhaps if they knew that information, they wouldn't have gone into this area. So it's just, it, it's really disgusting. And, and I don't want to point fingers at anybody, but if there was any aid by the guards or the prisoners, they need to be held accountable. That's it. How would you feel if you were the one that gave the key to this animal and he killed those five people? I think you'd be feeling pretty terrible right now. I think many people need to be held accountable. Let me play a little bit of this here. Many people. Hang on one second. Do you think it could have been an inside job that, that, a, that a jailer could have helped? I think it's, it's, a, high, I think it's a high high possibility. There, there, there is currently, he said, no criminal investigation of correction officers. But, boy, you're talking about multiple mistakes. Other inmates knew what was coming down. He had told other inmates... This is your chance to, to escape. I'm going to break out. 16 inmates, they all started singing, jumping up and down to distract that correction officer. And then, of course, the driver who got stabbed was watching the road. So uh, I think some inmates will probably get charged with assisting in the, in the breakout. The guy had a key or replica. They haven't found it. They're 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 speculating the authorities that another inmate got the key, which is scary. And our, you know, it was just lost in the shuffle. But apparently for for, for some moments there all hell was breaking loose on the bus. Uh Lopez broke out of what I he was confined in a cage, which I learned this morning the layout. So he had some kind of tool to pry up the bottom of some mesh wire, uh, gets out and 
apparently starts scuffling with another inmate. The, the driver stops to help separate them, and that could be just a complete setup. And then that's when he stabs the uh, guard. Just uh, totally outrageous, Phil. Uh, this information's coming out way, way after the fact. I'm sure they knew this information much sooner. And as we keep saying, and because it's easy to Monday morning quarterback on this case, how about releasing the information as you get it so that people in the community, their lives can be saved by this two-time lifer who's a Mexican drug cartel member and what, why are you withholding the information? Is it secret? Do you need that to be secret? The fact that there's homes being broken into, the fact that there's electricity being used, the fact that his DNA was found in one of these homes, what were you saving that for? I find this to be outrageous. I think the highest person in the Texas criminal justice system that's involved in this case should lose their job. Absolutely. Right to the top. 100%, Billy. And now you're talking about... Obviously, a diversion created that caused the bus to pull over. Now, had there been a lead car and a chase car, meaning a car in front of the bus and another car in back of the bus with armed correction officers, this would have been a very different story. There were only two correction officers involved in transporting 16 prisoners. Sounds a little bit uh, light on security to me. Uh, As we say in New York, that's Fugazi. Oh, yeah, for de definitely for Gazy. Um, And again, they talking about that the uh, that the key was never recovered. So now each one of those inmates would have to be strip searched, uh, body cavities checked, and they should be put in, in, in solitary confinement until that key uh, is found. Now, he may have taken the key with him and discarded it, but I think there should be a very, very thorough search because that key, again, can lead to another escape. So obviously uh, a lot of failures here. Uh, the indication from what that reporter or, or that news report says, it, it's kind of pointing the onus on the prisoners aiding in the escape. If that's so, there needs to be charges, upgrades of charges on those prisoners and uh, solitary confinement and things like that for sure. You know, Phil, one of the things I, I don't want to forget was the whole situation where the family took the video of Gonzalo Lopez running through the field and that police officer from the local police department, I want to know what was his function? What was it? What did it, what the investigation, what did it reveal that he did? Did he radio? Did he use his radio? Did he call for backup? Or did he just stand there like a scarecrow? I want to know what his actions were because I don't, it doesn't seem like they were sufficient to meet the threat that they had on the scene there. Absolutely. And I mean, if you have a civilian telling you that the prisoner is now uh, within eyesight of the person, you know, that is making it clear to the officer, I mean, what actions did he take? Did he, like you said, did he radio? Did he go after him? What, what actions were taken? And again, listen, we said it before, uh, just a lot of failures, uh, very, very, very bad uh, communication uh, through, uh, you know, public information in the media outlets, 
Uh, it should have been broadcast much better. Uh, it's easy to me, for me to say that now, but I just feel that, you know, it's obvious. So that's why I'm saying it. I'm calling it out. And listen, the facts are the facts. Uh, if this was something in a different area, I think, uh, you know, like in New York, it would have been handled much differently. It would have been wall-to-wall coverage in the local media outlets, I would think. So, uh, again, it's very preventable. It's a horrible tragedy. Let's uh, let's get some uh, accountability based on the fact that five people lost their lives and this animal escaped from custody. You know, folks, just so you know, in New York City, uh, if a police officer on duty has a prisoner escape, he gets suspended. Yeah. Automatically. Automatically. That's how seriously they take it. A, and it's not a prisoner at this level, a prisoner that's doing life. It's just any prisoner. If he escapes... The officer is suspended. So that's how seriously they take it in New York City. Let me play a little bit of this. Department of Criminal Justice is halting all inmate transports after an escaped inmate killed a man and his four grandsons last week. There will also be an independent investigation into how this convicted murderer got away in the first place. Fox News David Centendry live tonight with more. David. Yeah, Steve, tonight I spoke with a former prison warden who has many questions as to how this inmate escaped. Texas Department of Criminal Justice is temporarily stopping the transportation of inmates while conducting internal and outside reviews of its procedures after inmate Gonzalo Lopez stabbed a correction officer before stealing the bus he was riding on to seek medical treatment, later fleeing on foot in Leon County last month. The 46-year-old capital murder inmate was at large for nearly three weeks. Authorities believe he killed 66-year-old Mark Collins and four of Collins' grandchildren at their family ranch before taking a truck from the ranch. He was killed in a shootout last week. The obvious questions are how could something like this take place? Leonard Veray is a retired Nevada prison warden currently living in Texas. He says it's typical for vehicles transporting inmates to have a chase vehicle following behind. And if the bus is then overpowered, there's another vehicle in the back with armed officers. Texas's Department of Criminal Justice tells Fox 4 there was no chase vehicle when Lopez escaped. In general prison terms, if you're a higher security individual, you need to have additional staff. A report from the state auditor released this year showed a near 40% turnover rate at the Criminal Justice Department in 2021, one of the highest of state agencies mostly among correctional officers. Turnover was high in 2020 as well. Veray says we cannot be sure if low staffing contributed to conditions that led to Lopez's escape, but it'll likely be examined. It's severely low. Veray says escaped inmates typically have assistance. You know, whether they provided them with a cell phone, where they provided them with food and shelter. 15 additional inmates were on the bus. They did not get away. The TDCJ says they were seated in a secured, caged area behind the driver. Lopez got out of his restraints and cut through the door that separates the driver's area from the inmate area. He then stabbed the driving officer in the hand and chest. Where did he get the weapon? Lopez and the officer began fighting on the ground outside the bus. The second officer in the back of the bus was armed with a shotgun. He got out through the emergency back door and shot out the back tires of the bus. But Lopez was able to get back on and drive for a mile before running away. The fact that he was able to physically escape and then, you know, be on the run for about three weeks suggests that physically he was not debilitated, yet he was being transported for a medical visit. 
The bus driver who was stabbed is expected to be okay. Lopez was reportedly associated with the Mexican Mafia prison gang. So that sort of tells the story of uh, gross incompetence there. Uh, I mean, we're seeing it at so many levels. And I don't want to beat this to death, but, you know, someone has to be held accountable. Five people are dead right now. And this case, you know, Phil, much like the case in Uvalde, that investigation is going to go on for years. And we're finding out things about the shooting at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, that we're very unhappy with, right, at this point. And a lot of it, you know, when people, Phil, you've interviewed hundreds of people. Results of interviews are important because one person's interview can cancel out another person's interview or show that that person's not telling the truth. So that's why this stuff that he said, she said stuff takes so much time. Absolutely, Billy. But before I move on to Uvalde, I just want to make a point. Um, Gonzalo Lopez escaping. If you look up in the penal law, deadly physical force could have been used against him to prevent him from escaping. What I mean by that is he could have been shot in the back and you would have had no criminal uh, liability or culpability if you were a correction officer or you were a sheriff or a police officer uh, witnessing that escape. So he could have been stopped. He wasn't. It's it's just horrible. Uh, going back to Uvalde, I mean, listen, uh, when you do interviews, uh, sometimes uh, a person tells you something and based on that information that they're giving you, you're going to go out now and corroborate what they said to see if it was true or untrue. So if I say I was at a specific location and observed certain things, I am going to go to that location and try and see if I can find someone else. Or maybe that person will say, well, I spoke to Joe. So I'm going to go look for Joe to corroborate and say, Joe, was this person here at this time? Yes, he was. Perhaps this video. Those are the types of things that investigators do to see if the information that they're taking in is accurate and correct. So those are very, very important things. Um, listen, uh, the other day uh, on the news, they had the White House press briefing and Matthew McConaughey, who is a native of Uvalde, gave a very impassioned and emotional speech, Billy. I'm not sure if you got to see it, but I was very moved by it. And I think that he focused on several things. Uh, he didn't go extreme right. He didn't go extreme left. He talked about some common sense things that he felt would uh, be proper going forward, but he really focused on the victims. I mean, if you watched it and you didn't get choked up, I think uh, you're very, very cold and you're unemotional. I was choked up by it. He held back tears. He was choked up by it. He had he displayed a pair of Converse sneakers from one of the victims, and uh, it was green Converse high top sneakers, and there was a heart drawn on the sneaker by the little child that was killed, and. This was the way that they had to identify her because her body was so damaged. It's horrible to even talk about that. But he put uh, human faces to the victims. He talked about them in such a way, and he, he was really, really moved by it. And the one thing that shocked me at the end of the press conference when he walked off, Billy, the first question, because he didn't take any question, but the first question that I heard from one of the reporters is, Mr. McConaughey, are you grandstanding? Now, I thought that was terrible. It was in bad taste. Listen, he is an actor. He could have been acting. I don't think he was. I think he was really emotionally upset about it. He got back to Uvalde where he came from the minute that he heard about the shooting with his family. They tried to give comfort to the families. They did a lot of different things that he talked about. And 
listen, we need, Bill, you and I have talked about it. You've said it numerous times. We need the right and the left in this country, the politicians, to come together and come somewhere in the middle with uh, common sense solutions. I mean, hardening the targets. We talked about that with the police commissioner from Nassau County. Um, you know, uh, Patrick Ryder. I mean, listen, a lot of the things are just common sense. There's a lot of a lot that can be done. Uh, the gun, the inanimate object, obviously is what's used to facilitate this horrible situation, but it's the person that's pulling the trigger, the trigger puller. That's what we got to focus on. We had that horrible incident where a person took a car in Minnesota during Christmas time and ran over a bunch of people. We're not going to outlaw cars based on that. That was a horrible tragedy, but the person that's responsible, I think we need to do those two things are real, really of most important to me. Hardening the targets, the schools, slowing down the shooters. If God forbid a shooter goes into a school and focusing on mental illness and people that are imbalanced uh, with regard to gain, gaining weapons. And let's say perhaps, uh, you know, maybe there's a system in place that could uh, red flag the person when they make these, you know, th this guy made these allegations on social media. He was going to do this. There was all these red flags. So there has to be a system in place that can alert uh, law enforcement to these things. You know, folks, we're going to do a, a sort of a shorter show today. I just want to play a little bit of this, and we'll, we're going to come back tomorrow, hopefully with more on Uvalde. Guys, everyone's asking in the chat how I'm feeling. As, as you can see, I'm not 100%. I'm still in a lot of pain. Um, I wanted to get back on the horse, as they say, but maybe it's a little bit too soon. But uh, I missed you guys. I miss Phil. I miss doing the show. But I just want to play a little bit of this. And then tomorrow we're going to come back with some more on the Evalde thing. Here we go. With the teacher who survived this and his personal plea to do something to make sure his students didn't die in vain. And his message to law enforcement tonight who waited. His interview with Amy Robach. I said, if I die, don't let it be in vain. Tonight, fourth grade teacher Arnolfo Reyes who was shot multiple times by the gunman, says he cannot forgive law enforcement for taking more than an hour to stop the gunman who killed every student in his classroom. Mr. Reyes, on how the day started. It was going to be a good day because it was going to be our day of awards. And some kids in my class said that having gotten an award, you know, all year, we're going to get an award that day. And while some students went home after the ceremony, 11 from his class stayed behind. They were watching a movie. The kids started asking out loud, uh, Mr. Reyes, what is going on? And I said, I don't know what's going on, um, but let's go ahead and get under the table. Uh, get under the table and act like you're asleep. As they were doing that, and I was gathering them under the table and told them to act like they were going to sleep, is about the time when I turned around and saw him standing there. The gunman entering classroom 112 at 11.33 a.m., then making his way into 111 through a connecting door, opening fire, a bullet hitting him in the arm and lung, and a separate one striking his back. I told myself, I told my kids to act like I'm there asleep, so I'm going to act like I'm asleep also. And I prayed and prayed that I would not hear none of my students talk. Did you, you, you thought you were going to die? Yes, ma'am. Then, while the gunman was still in the classroom, Reyes, hearing police nearby, 
According to law enforcement, seven officers were in the building by 11.35 a.m. They took gunfire and retreated. Reyes says a child in the connecting classroom, 112, called out for help. One of the students from the next door classroom um, was saying, officer, we're in here, we're in here. And then, uh, but they had already left. And then um, he got up from, from my, behind my desk and he walked over there and he shot over there again. At 12.03 p.m., a full 30 minutes after he entered the building, a child from room 112 calling 911, telling dispatch where she was. By this point, 19 officers were inside the building, but no one went in. At 12.10, 12.13, and 12.16, more 911 calls. Is there anybody inside of the building? You know that there are kids, right? They're little kids. They don't know how to defend themselves. You said you were praying. I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I prayed my Hail Mary. But it isn't until 12.50 p.m., one hour and 17 minutes after the gunman entered the classrooms, that Border Patrol busts in, killing the shooter. Did you feel abandoned by police, by the people who are supposed to protect you? Absolutely. After everything... I get more angry because you have a bulletproof vest. I had nothing. I had nothing. You're supposed to protect and serve. There is no excuse for their actions. And I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them. How many students were in your classroom when the shooter came in? 11 students. <clears throat> so. The shooter killed every single student in your classroom. Yes, ma'am. I lost 11 that day. And I went to my parents and said, I'm sorry. I tried my best. With what I was told to do. Please don't be angry with Just the idea that this teacher is now hoping that the parents won't be angry with him gives you an idea of the anguish this teacher will carry with him for the rest of his life. And Amy Robach with us tonight. Amy, you, you told me that the teacher also said no amount of training in the world, and they'd been trained for something like this, but that no amount of training could have prepared them for this because it happens so fast. That's correct. And he was trained to get his students under the table. And as he looks back now, as he reflects, he, he feels as though he was actually setting up his students to be sitting ducks. It's an, a painful thought indeed. And all the training in the world doesn't prepare you for that moment. He said it's the laws that have to change. And he is going to spend the rest of his life making sure those students and his fellow teachers did not die in vain, David. All right, Amy Robot. So, Phil, very powerful. That's, uh, wow. wow. I, I think we're going to leave the show with that today. And, um, We'll come back tomorrow, cover more of the Evalde shooting. But, um, Phil, all I can say at this point, and folks, again, um, this is a little bit of an abbreviated show. My first show back, I'm still not 100%, uh, as you could probably sense. But thank you so much for listening in. And, guys, your thoughts and prayers, all of that stuff is so helpful and so, so much appreciated. Uh, 
that's where you go to when uh, when you're feeling a little down and low. But uh, Phil, final words. Final words. Listen, that was just a very emotional report right there. If you didn't get choked up, you're not human. I'm sorry. It's terrible. We'll get back to it. To our subscribers, thank you so much for all the thoughts and prayers for Billy. Billy, uh, thank you for coming on today. Uh, I appreciate it. Our subscribers appreciate it. You'll get back in the swing of things. Guys, keep up the, the prayers. Keep subscribing to us. We do this for you guys. This is about you. Uh, it's about us doing the show, but without you, there would be no show. So thank you so much and keep up the prayers and the good thoughts for Billy. And he'll be back uh, to normal ranting Billy uh, very shortly. I'm sure. I hope so. Just got to get through. Uh, it's a little bit difficult right now, but uh, Bill, you're a real trooper and thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're in pain. I know you're not feeling hundred percent, but thank you so much. We're going to give you the thumbs up and all our subscribers again. Thank you so much and keep up the prayers for Billy. Thank you. Guys, thank you, and uh, have a wonderful day, and uh, stay safe, and we'll see you very soon. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.